Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watts Podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping Memorial Day weekend of May 28th through Monday, May 31st, 2021. My name's Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone's doing well out there. Uh, Like I said, if you're here in the States, I hope that your Memorial Day weekend went well. I had a pretty good one. I celebrated a friend's birthday on Saturday, saw a movie in theaters on Sunday, which we'll talk about later, and then after the rain cleared up, took my dog to Coney Island for the first time and the reopening of the beaches here in New York City. Obviously, with a long weekend, we have a little bit to talk about, and that's why this episode is a little bit delayed, uh, but also some exciting headlines in addition to the uh, box office battle going on. So let's hop into the top five, shall we? I say battle, but really in first place, it's clear in the head, uh, we have Paramount's A Quiet Place 2 taking the weekend. Uh, for the four-day total from Friday through Monday, uh, with 50, they made $57 million in 3,726 theaters, a per-theater average of $15,321. Uh, if you look at this, the three-day weekend, uh, from Friday through, Saturday, through Sunday, uh, it was $47.5 million with 12761 per-theater average in its first weekend. Now, if you dig into the day by day, uh, it opened to about 19 million on Friday, 14.4.8, sorry, 4.8 million of which were from Thursday previews, and then it dropped down to 22% uh, to 15 million on Saturday, and then another 14% on Sunday, to 13 million total, with a 27% drop on Monday. Um, that, fi- that 57 million number exceeds the 30 to 50 million dollar prediction various sources had for the four day, uh, which bodes well for the box office moving forward. Uh, in addition. To the $22 million from overseas, which is only for the three-day weekend, uh, in 12 markets, lifetime total for A Quiet Place 2 sits somewhere in the $82 million range. Again, that exceeds most estimates for what it would have done this past weekend, which internationally were about $10 to $15 million. Also, it looks like the budget for this one somewhere in the $61 million range, so it's likely going to make some money, methinks. Um, the first Acquired Place film was made on a budget of only $17 million and opened to $50 million over a three-day weekend as a point of comparison. Now, as of right now, A Quiet Place 2 is the post-pandemic box office king domestically, uh, with the highest opening weekend ahead of Godzilla vs. Kong's $32 million. Uh, Going back to pre-pandemic, their three-day total is just below the $58 million uh, from Sonic the Hedgehog that opened over the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, uh, which, given the the sequel nature of this film and, you know, all the circumstances with the pandemic, I I don't think that's bad at all. In fact, pre-pandemic, this was slated to actually make about 60 to $80 million on its opening weekend over three days, so it nearly matched that. Now, that being said, despite being the box office king post-pandemic, uh, it ha- is not the widest release post-pandemic, actually. That honor goes to our number two film this weekend, Disney's Cruella at 3,892 theaters. Over the four-day weekend, Cruella net $26.5 million US million for a per-theater average of $6,817. Over the three days, it made $21.5 million uh, with a per-theater average of 5623 Friday, it opened up to $7.7 million with about $1.4 million in previews and dropped 6% uh, to $7.2 million on Saturday and then 11% on 6. 5, uh, to $6.5 million on Sunday and finally dropped 23% to $5 million on Monday. So less steep drops than Acquired Place 2, um, but also off of a smaller base. Of course, this one had the uh, situation of being a Disney Plus premiere access, um, meaning that you know probably the take was always going to be lower as people could just watch it at home. Um, 
That said, this was on the higher end of the estimates we gave last week for its opening over the four-day weekend of the 15 to $30 million range, um, which suggests, again, that perhaps not as many people bit the bullet uh, to, or bit the, took the bait to watch it on Disney+. Plus. Uh, Samba TV suggests that 39% fewer people watched Cruella on Premier Access compared to Mulan last year. Now, as a reminder, A Quiet Place 2 does have a 45-day theatrical window in place, so how the Disney Plus option will affect you know, the uh, drops for Cruella over time uh, remains to be seen over the long run. I'm not sure if Cruella simply, again, wasn't, wasn't as high because of just this, or also because it was just that wasn't quite as demand of a film, being a Disney remake, which has been kind of more... Uh, a, more or less hit hit, uh, hit or miss, so to speak. Um, or also, if the quiet the format of a quiet place too made it, you know, a film that you had to see in theaters as opposed to maybe waiting to see at home. Uh, now the reviews on Cruella seem good enough, uh, with seventy four percent on Rotten Tomatoes and an A on CinemaScore. Um, we also don't know exactly how much Disney made off of Premiere Access, so whether or not this is considered a success or not against the hundred million dollar budget for this, we don't we won't ever really know. Uh, internationally, uh, Cruella made about $16.1 million through Sunday in 29 markets for a lifetime total in the first weekend of $42 million. So in third place, Disney repeats again with Ryan the Last Dragon, stepping up from fourth place last week to an astounding in an astounding 13th weekend. Um, surprisingly, despite losing 360 theaters down to 2,615, it actually gained about 41% over the last three-day weekend uh, to $2.3 million over the three days, or $2.8 million over the four, the four days. Uh, the three-day weekend per three-day average is 1,162, or 1,410 over the four-day weekend. Uh, most this is a surge of families going to see the movie in theaters over the long theaters. Um, you know, and now this puts this Ryan's domestic total above 50 million uh, to 51.7 million total. Add another 60.6 million from abroad, and it's now sitting at 112.3 million worldwide. Uh, now, this is also on top of whatever Disney Premier Access will give them. I actually believe that uh, Raya will go uh, free on Disney Plus this coming Friday, uh, so we'll see how those numbers stack up next week and if it drops off even further, if it continues to drop. Uh, Raya's legs currently sit at 6.1x its opening weekend, the highest, I believe, of any film post-pandemic. It also surpassed Wonder Woman and Tom and Jerry for domestic totals with that number as well, so as some said on the subreddit, it may have lost the battle of opening weekend, but it ultimately won the war. Uh, now in fourth place, we have Spiral from Lionsgate, dropping 52% in week three to make $2.2 million over the three-day weekend in 2,641 theaters for a pre-theater average of 839 Add another 482000 on Monday, bringing the four-day total up to $2.7 million or so, and a pre-theater average of 1022 now, the 52% drop is pretty steep, but A, that's, for no- that's normal for horror films in their third weekend to drop pretty steeply. Uh, B, according to Box Office Pro, it's not even the worst third weekend drop in the franchise, with Saw 3D dropping 62% in its third weekend. And C, it had a not-that-bad-for-a-horror-film-or-this-franchise drop, despite competing against a film that should be hitting a similar demographic, Acquired Place 2. So overall, despite being so low totals... Uh, could have been worse. Uh, lifetime total for Spiral domestically is $20.2 million, and another $7 million abroad brings the worldwide total to $27.2 million. 
Rounding out the top five, we have Wrath of Man from United Artists, making 2.1 million over the three-day weekend, dropping 27% in 2,607 theaters for a per-theater average of $835. A four-day total is closer to 2.6 million, and four-day total per-theater average is $1,048, with a lifetime for the film being $22.7 million domestically. With another $44.7 million abroad, the worldwide total for Wrath of Man is $44.7 million. Outside the top five, we have some highlights. Uh, Demon Slayer hangs in there in week six for $1.5 million over the three-day weekend in sixth place. It actually had a 20% week-over-week gain. Um, currently, it sits at $46.7 million domestically, so uh, hopefully it's able to get to that $50 million mark domestic. Uh, and then all the way down in 10th place is Bogia, uh, or Bojas, apologies for the pronunciation. It's a Vietnamese film that translates to Dad, I'm sorry, and made only $350,000, but that was in about 20 theaters, uh, so the per theater average is somewhere in the neighborhood of $17.5,000. That would actually have a higher per theater average than A Quiet Place too. Um, it looks like the Vietnamese communities in Southern California, Houston, and Atlanta really mobilized to see this one. And finally, one other thing worth noting outside of the box office totals are theater numbers. Uh, in its third weekend, HBO Max simultaneously released Those Who Wish Me Dead, starring Angelina Jolie, lost about 50% of its movie theaters, dropping down 70% overall revenue-wise. Uh, it seems like a casualty of the fact that we're now having sorter and sorter theatrical windows uh, means that movies, uh, that, that theaters uh, outside after that you know, second weekend um, are now able to drop films a lot more aggressively. Overall, the box office had its best weekend post-pandemic yet. Uh, the three-day total sits at $80.7 million, almost double that of Godzilla vs. Kong's $44 million opening at the end of April. Now, that's still about $100 million less than 2019's three-day on Memorial Day weekend, uh, so not quite back to 100% yet by any means, but still definitely trending in the right direction. As noted last week, the major releases this weekend are The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, and Spirit Untamed, which estimates, uh, with, with estimates for $20 million and $5 million opening, respectively. Uh, Spirit Untamed also looks to be getting 3,100 theaters this weekend. Uh, moving abroad, let's check in on the UK. Uh, this is their second weekend op back open again. Uh, the Conjuring film we just mentioned opened early there in the top spot, uh, followed by Peter Rabbit 2, then Cruella, then Demon Slayer, and then Nomadland to round out the top five. A Quiet Place 2 opens there this coming weekend. Uh, over in Asia, we have a mixed bag situation with response to COVID. Uh, Korea is currently offering discounts to vaccinated moviegoers to encourage vaccination, uh, which we had that here in the States. Uh, meanwhile, Malaysia is going back into lockdown over, so it's over there. Uh, which should help Disney Plus's Hotstar integration, which going went live earlier this week. Uh, Japan reopened its theater is reopening its theaters uh, June first, so I guess they already reopened uh, after yet another pandemic-related shutdown for two weeks. Speaking of Japan, our favorite anime film, at least on this podcast, I have other favorite films on my anime actual anime podcast. Uh, anyway, Demon Slayer finally crossed the five hundred million dollar global mark, the first Japanese film to ever do so in history. Yet another feather in its many yet another among many feathers in its cap. Uh, moving over to China, there are a couple of interesting stories uh, in the box office top five here. Uh, most notably, in first place, we have, again, Fast and Furious 9 in its second weekend. It made $20 million over there to add to its now $186 million total in China. 
Now, if you're paying attention to that number, that's something like an 85% drop versus last week, which does not bode well for the film at all over there, especially when I was counting on the Chinese market to really help it. Uh, there are a couple of factors at play here. Uh, one, and probably the most important one we mentioned last week, was that it had kind of bad reviews on the various uh, rating services like Maoyan or Duban last week from viewers, uh, which really hurts word of mouth. In addition, there was also a comment by John Cena made this past week where he offhandedly mentioned Taiwan as a country, uh, which is against CCP protocol. And while I haven't seen any reports explicitly stating the film has been boycotted or pulled because of these comments, uh, he did go ahead and make an apology to China uh, in Mandarin on Weibo. Um, and so, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if at least there was some factor of that at play here. Um, it doesn't seem like it's been pulled, as was the case with Monster Hunter uh, late last year, uh, but still. Uh, you know, again, with the bad reviews to start, this definitely didn't help. That being said, it's likely going to pass Godzilla vs. Kong's $188 million for the highest-grossing post-pandemic Hollywood film in China for now. Uh, moving to second place, we have the 2020 Japanese film Doraemon Walk, Walk With Me 2, uh, making $16 million since first weekend in China. Uh, in third place, we have A Quiet Place 2, debuting to $15 million after a very short turnaround time between approval earlier last week and release. Uh, in fourth place, we have the local film Love Will Tell Tear Us Apart, making $5 million in addition uh, for its lifetime total to get to $52 million. And then in fifth place, Cliff Walkers hangs in there with $4 million uh, for a lifetime total of $172 million. Uh, looking forward to this weekend in China, at least from Hollywood, uh, the big release will be Cruella with its debut uh, currently set for, I believe, Sunday the, Sunday the 6th. Uh, speaking of, uh, we have some other release dates adjusted since set here domestically and abroad at various film festivals as well. Uh, Wes Anderson's next film, The French Dispatch, is set to debut at Cannes as it was in 2020, um, and its theatrical release is now set for October 22, which, complete, which now competes with Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho and Jackass 4. Uh, Dune, meanwhile, is set to be screened at the Venice International Film Festival. Uh, no confirmation if this is the planetary blockbuster meant that for Cannes that they hinted at last week. Uh, here in the States, Peter Rabbit 2 is now set for June 11th, moving up, up a week from June 18th. Uh, I think this is a date that it had before it moved and it started hopping around all over the release schedule, so... Oh, this, this film has been exhausting to try to keep up with. Um, that weekend also uh, is the release of In the Heights, uh, though it looks like Warner is confident enough to uh, actually move the release a day early on the 10th, uh, which, you know, I think the reason for this is since it's an HBO Max simultaneous release, normally they wouldn't be Thursday previews, so I guess they wanted that extra day of money. Uh, also releasing on June 10th is on streaming is Paramount's Infinite, uh, starring Mark Wahlberg, directed by Antoine Fuqua, uh, about uh, a guy who experiences all of his past lives, uh, coming, and it now is coming exclusively to Paramount Plus instead of in theaters. Uh, this apparently took the creative team by surprise, so we'll see if there's a similar fallout to what happened uh, with HBO Max move over there at Paramount, uh, and if and how the creative team will be compensated for this. Um, also, not fully new dates, but we do have the full title for Escape Room 2 coming July 16th. It's now titled Escape Room Tournament of Champions as per the trailer that came out. Uh, we also have word from the Jurassic World Dominion director that we should also see a trailer from that film coming soon uh, to, quote, try and bring people back to the theaters. Uh, we also have Bird in the, Ho the Hollywood re uh, Reporter piece about Hollywood attorneys news um, that Todd Phillips has officially signed on to co-write the sequel to Joker. 
And then there's also some Marvel news uh, about dates shifting, but those are all the way in 2022 and 2023, and for untitled films, so I'm not going to go into too much detail on those here. Uh, the last series of headlines we have are mostly corporate news. Um, that said, there is actually a pretty big major headline here. Uh, as we suggested last week, Amazon was close to acquiring MGM uh, Studios for about $9 billion. Uh, we were pretty much right on the money. Uh, right after I put the money out, the episode out, we got confirmation that they did, in fact, buy the studio for $8.45 billion. Now, there have been a lot of news stories about this, but the main thrust of this is that it's primarily a move to try and bolster their prime video streaming catalog with a lot of MGM's library as opposed to a real move to try to you know, shape the way that, that films are being made over there. Now, they do, of course, have the ability to develop and reimagine other franchises such as Robocop, Rocky, Rocky and James Bond for future projects better suited for the 21st century. Those speci- the, the Bond franchise specifically, however, I think will still be in the hands of Barbara Broccoli and Michael Wilson who maintain creative control over the uh, franchise and are still set on having a worldwide theatrical release for No Time to Die uh, later this year, so won't be coming straight to uh, Amazon Prime. Uh, That being said, hopefully this makes it easier to catch up on all the Bond films before that one comes out. Um, I've also seen a lot of fans of Stargate excited for this move too, for whatever that's worth. Uh, speaking of streaming, HBO and HBO Max have some new reports for their numbers. Uh, they said they've added 11.1 new subscribers to existing customers uh, to hit $44 million total as of the end of Q1 uh, it, for their one-year anniversary. Um, some people on the subreddit have calculated that out, that this is about 9.7 million uh, users for HBO Max proper. Um, speaking of, while the Discovery deal is still on, and apparently they're going to be going with the name Warner Brothers Discovery in the future, uh, Jason Keelar is still confirmed to be remain the CEO at least through the end of 2021. Uh, moving over to the exhibition side of things, AMC is uh, raining more money, uh, raising more money, excuse me, to, uh, s- by selling equity at about $27 per stock for a total of $230.5 million. US dollars. Uh, in addition, they were looking at figuring out a deal with the landlords of the now-closed Arclight Cinemas and Pacific Theaters in LA that closed down a couple months ago, as we talked about. Um, insert a joke about Wall Street bets here. Actually, that's not a joke because uh, they actually have launched Investor Connect, a way that you can, if you own stock, you can sign up for AMC Stubs and get free popcorn and stuff. And yeah, it, they're definitely trying to play up the, the, this whole meme stock situation. Uh, in addition to all this, uh, AMC as well as Regal and Cinemark, so the big three exhibitors, have quietly removed their mask requirement for vaccinated guests moving forward, with about 60% of the U.S. now at least one dose deep in the vaccine. Uh, no comment here about actually checking if someone is vaccinated or not, just reporting it as it is. Um, we also have news that Alamo Drafthouse has emerged from Chapter 11 bankruptcy uh, we reported a little bit ago, which is really just them restructuring with under new management who had already been invested in the company. Um, as part of that announcement, they are also announced that they are opening five new theaters, including one in Manhattan in the financial district, which I'm super excited for, and that's going to be later this year, as well as one in Staten Island, two in the Washington, D.C. area, and then one, their first, in St. Louis. Uh, we also have a poll from Fandango, so a bit of grain of salt given the source, uh, but they're saying that of a poll of people who have bought movie tickets, uh, they're planning on buying at least five movie tickets uh, this this summer. Uh, now, these are people who already were prone to buying tickets to go see films, but the fact that people who are going are willing to see multiple films still bodes well for the industry. 
And then finally, not strictly box office related, but we all but we did get updated eligibility requirements from the Academy for the Oscars uh, and their dates for next year's ceremony. Um, this obviously affects me and my Oscars Death Race podcast. Um, now, with an el- abbreviated eligibility period running from March through December, uh, they're sticking with a late March cer- uh, ceremony date. Now, they are keeping the changes they made for pandemic times. Namely, they would that films should be intended for theatrical release, but they would allow films that premiered on VOD or streaming to compete as long as they were able to get a, a version of the film available for screening on their internal Academy screening room. And, it, and they also expanded the number of metro cities that would be eligible where a film needs to have its first run before uh, being qualified for the Oscars. Previously, it was, I believe, just L.A. Con- County or maybe New York and L.A., uh, but now they've expanded to include the Bay Area, Chicago, Miami, and Atlanta, as well as drive-in theaters. Um, there are news also, there are rumors that these moves might start to become permanent actually to, I guess, reflect the future of the industry. Um, that being said, I think the most notable film this actually impacts is Luca from Pixar, as it is still a Disney Plus only streaming release in a couple of weekends and otherwise would not qualify, so presumably they'll be made available via the Academy screening room. But yeah, this is my dose of awards news for now in the offseason, which I put here. Uh, before we go, I guess I'll say my thoughts on the film I watched this past weekend. Uh, no surprise, you know, I kind of went with what everyone else was seeing and saw A Quiet Place too. Now, the first A Quiet Place was definitely one of the most visceral cinematic experiences I've had. Uh, probably outside of like a Marvel or like a Thursday night, you know, midnight screening for, you know, the latest MCU film. Um, this definitely just hit the, you know, the first film. Definitely, I was just like scared to like eat my popcorn because of just how noisy it felt. Especially, again, on a $17 million budget. I really enjoyed that film. Um, and, you know, when, when they said that there would be a sequel, um, given the ending of the first film, so I'm not going to go into too many spoilers here, um, you kind of had an idea on what, it, what they would be able to do, and you kind of you got that right. Um, I will say that uh, I think that the kid actors here did a really good job in conveying their particular emotions here. I think that that still kind of held up. Now, that being said, I think the tension of like the, oh, you know, you have to be quiet was there to some degree. That being said, uh, I think... And this is somebody, I guess, after having watched the Oscars Death Race and paying attention to, like, you know, different parts of the film, I noticed that whenever the score was playing, I found myself relaxing because I could tell, oh, they're not trying to be scary here or raise the tension here because they're playing the score, right? Like, the whole fact, I think the whole part of, like, if I remember in the first film, like, they didn't really even have a score uh, for much of the first part of the film where they really went with just the ambient noises. So the fact that there was a score at in here, not quite as much of, of what I was looking for, um... You know, I also think that the brother characters, again, I think the acting that they did really well, I think his resolution for his arc didn't quite feel quite as earned. He just kind of was like brought along to some degree. Yeah, he, he did act in, in some parts, but not ahead in the same big moves that the others did. So in any case, that being said, I still really enjoyed the film. I would recommend, you know, definitely see this in theaters if you can. Um, but yeah, that's my thoughts on The Quiet Place too. I think I gave it like a three out of five on Letterboxd. Uh, and with that, I think that's a wrap for this episode. Shoot me ideas for what I should cover via email at boxofficewatchpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. You can find our show on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. Uh, make sure you subscribe and leave a review, or at the very least, tell a friend any of that helps. If you're feeling extra generous, consider supporting us on Patreon, which lets me make not only this show, but all the other podcasts that I work on and have mentioned. Uh, links to all of that will be in our show notes. Uh, numbers used in the show come from thenumbers.com. Our intro and outro music come from Kevin Mack. 
MacLeod. You can find his stuff at incompetech.filmistry.io. Edited and productions provided by Ninsboy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast. And remember, my watch goes on. Mm-hmm.